0: Good afternoon. I'm Rhonda Feynman. Our two esteemed guests today on Healthy Options are both accomplished vocalists and voice teachers who use the Alexander Technique to help their students create more freedom and ease in their bodies and therefore in their lives. Tracy Van Fleet is a Grammy Award winner, mezzo-soprano and voice teacher based in Los Angeles, in the Los Angeles area, She's earned critical acclaim for her singing from the Walt Disney Concert Hall in Los Angeles to the Symphonica Orchestra Lundberg in Germany. As a soloist and chorus member, she performs with the Los Angeles Master Chorale and has appeared at some of the most prestigious orchestras around the world. Among her many credits, she was the featured mezzo soloist on the tour of Italy, singing the Mozart Requiem at several UNESCO sites. Tracy is a level three total vocal freedom coach, and is in the process of qualifying for certification as an Alexander Technique teacher. Our other guest today is Lisa Rogers-Lee. She's a chamber singer, oratorio soloist, and voice teacher with a private studio called Voice for the Whole Singer, In addition to her appearances with numerous opera companies throughout the United States, she served on the faculty of the University of Notre Dame Music Preparatory Program and Indiana University South Bend Music Academy, and she was also the soprano vocal coach and soloist with the Seattle Choral Company. She recently became a Level 2 Total Vocal Freedom Coach, teaching Alexander Technique principles to singers, all over and she is known as an educator and mentor of singers of all ages. Lisa Rogers Lee and Tracy Van Fleet are the founders of The Ageless Singer, a program designed to support and empower female singers over the age of 50. Today on Healthy Options we'll be exploring what the Alexander Technique is and whether you are a singer or not, we'll learn how it can help us move more easily in our lives, no matter what activities we are doing. So welcome, Tracy Van Fleet and Lisa Rogers Lee, to Healthy Options. So glad you
1: could be here. Thank you, Rhonda. Thank you.
0: So let's start right at the beginning. Uh, Tracy, give us a little idea of what, what is the Alexander Technique? What are we talking about?
1: Right. There's, it's really hard to just sum up the Alexander technique. So actually I put it into chat GPT and let me just read to you. Oh no. (laughs) Go for it. It was, it was actually shockingly good. So here's what, here's what I got back. The Alexander technique is a method of movement education that aims to improve posture and ease of movement by teaching individuals to become aware of and release habitual muscle tension. I mean, I, I got that back on ChatGPT. I was like, yes, giant exclamation point. This was awesome. So I was very happy with that. And so there we go. That's your that, computerized that, answer.
0: That, that, that's very funny. Elisa, um, do you have
2: anything to add? I would add a little bit about what who Alexander was, that he was an actor uh, and an orator, and he lost his voice uh, repeatedly, and uh, doctors would tell him to do vocal rest. And that didn't do it for him. And so he finally figured out, long story short, that it had to be something he was doing. So he spent nine years observing himself um, and discovered uh, three basic things about himself. But the main discovery is that the head spine relationship is the primary control of the body. And if that if the head is balancing freely on the spine, and we allow the rest of the body to follow, then we um, we'll have more ease in our whole system.
0: So, do you find that to be true? How has that worked in in your experience, uh, Lisa? Let's start there.
2: Absolutely true. Um, I've had multiple uh, physical issues throughout the years, and when I discovered the Alexander technique, it was a real turning point for me and my healing. Um, because what we do in the Alex, what we discover in the Alexander technique is we've developed habits that are often unknown to ourselves. And we can work, once we recognize those habits, then we can learn to inhibit them and move in a different way. Um, So that's, it's been incredibly helpful in that regard for me. And for uh, singers, um, something else that's true, but it's also true for the average, you know, population, is as we get older, we tend to This is language that goes in our, our mind, like we're, we're old. We can't do this. And I'm achy because I'm old. And so we start believing that message. And what the Alexander technique does is helps you realize it's not necessarily aging. Yes, we change, but often our bodies and our minds start reacting to that change in unhealthy ways instead of working with the body and the mind that we have.
1: Yeah, and these are the habitual tensions that are talked about in Alexander because over time, in order to get through whatever your activity is, if it's baseball or just walking your dog – over time you might develop really tight tension habits in your body because at that moment you needed it and then it becomes habitual and it's habitual and so you don't even know you're doing it so part of the alexander technique in whatever activity you're doing lisa and i like to talk about emptying the dishwasher um whatever your activity is utilizing these ideas of alexander technique primarily what he calls primary control the relationship between the skull and the top of your spine bringing these ideas into everyday activities allows you to identify and then begin to release that habitual tension, which will ultimately cause, perhaps cause you significant pain or some pain and discomfort.
0: So does that mean you're thinking about it? Or is this a somatic? How does that mind body connection work? Lisa,
2: you want yeah, to I take this? <laughs> people you know, often you know, will come for a lesson and they want to learn some tricks you know, tell me some, an Alexander trick. And there are kind of some tricks in there, but the main thing about Alexander technique, it's, it's how we think that is more important than what we do. Right. So if I go to empty the dishwasher and I'm not mindful about it, you know, I might be turning a certain way and throw out my back. I'm not being intentional. Um, And if I think, for example, one we use a lot, if I think, for example, that um, my waist is an actual joint, which it kind of isn't, um, then we're going to continue to move in an unhealthy way as opposed to moving from our hip joint. So we become aware of how our body is designed and cooperate with that through our thinking.
1: Yeah, a big part of what we do at the Ageless Singer and in Alexander Technique in general, is we need to educate people about how your body actually works. Now, not all Alexander teachers work that way, but Lisa and I definitely have a strong belief in let's learn about how does my body, when I bend over, what is the natural design? And that's a big part of Alexander's reverting to natural design. Our ideas that we have in in this culture that we live in, uh, we have a lot of misconceptions about how to bend over, how to breathe actually uh, is a huge misconception in our culture. So that when you're bending over to pick up something out of the dishwasher or pick up a heavy box, if you're fully aware of the way your body is designed to do that, you're going to treat that picking up of a heavy box much differently than if you think about Bending over your waist and, and whatnot. So there's a lot of changes in everyday lifestyle activities that body awareness and actual natural use comes into play.
2: So you know, if I could add, yeah, sorry, if I could add to that, um, the, there's a subset of an Alexander technique that came to the forefront in the 90s called body mapping. And that's basically what Tracy's talking about. What our our mind may think were designed a certain way, it may not be conscious. Um, like I mentioned, bending at the waist, but when we body map, it's our brain makes connections to how we are actually designed. Mm -hmm.
0: So, you know, if, if you go to say, oh, my back hurts somewhere, a a, a therapist of some sort of PT, they're going to start teaching you how to do squats. And they talk about core and all of that. We're not talking about that. That's That's, is that imposed? I mean, those things can be helpful, of course. But in the Alexander technique, how would we approach something like that?
1: Yes. We would really start to begin to approach in your everyday activity and movements. One of the most basic things we do with pure Alexander is standing up and sitting down in a chair. And uh, one of our teachers, Lisa's, my teacher, said for six months, that's all she did was during her training was standing up and sitting down in a chair. But drove her crazy. But we all stand up and sit down many, many times during the day. And if you're able to get back to your natural use and you're able to free the head on top of the spine while doing that activity, allowing the spine to to come to its natural alignment then you're standing up and sitting down the chair is going to find release in your back. And therefore that awareness of how my back really doesn't have to work. And, and it's built to stack upon itself and it's built to stay erect on its own without us holding in anything in place with muscles. So that when we learn these activities through Alexander technique with the releases that are just the premise of our technique, then it, we take that back pain, and we're not going to necessarily say do this today for your back pain. We're going to say do this every day in everything that you do. Now, that doesn't mean you're going to be thinking Alexander Technique every minute of the day. There's I early on in my training, I said to one of my teachers, he says, "Oh my God, two hundred times a day I find myself scrunching my neck," and he says, "That's fantastic." He says, "That's two hundred times a day that you can bring new awareness to your relationship between your head and your spine."
0: I love that. And I, at one point you sent me, uh, Tracy, um, you sent me a, a little tape of one of your teachers talking about, about the scrunching of the neck about her and her young daughter talking about, you don't have to scrunch your neck when you're reading a book. And then when she grew up, she was uh, talking to her colleagues at a research facility. You know, you don't have to scrunch your neck when you're count, you know, making an algae Whatever chemistry thing, so so there it is. It's it's just in every single thing we do to really get that right, sense every aspect. Of, yeah. So
2: how do you not scrunch your neck? What do you do? Uh oh. <laughs> yeah. The language, you know, the the classic language we use is: I ask my head to release up so that the rest of my body can follow. And we teach them how to the difference between pulling our head up and scrunching and just allowing our head to float on top of our spine, which I know Tracy, I think was going to go into a little bit.
1: Yeah. So let's talk about, well, we can even do a little bit of an exercise and the, the foundation of the Alexander technique is this relationship of your skull and the top of your spine. So how does your skull rest on top of your spine? As Lisa just mentioned, we often taught to pull up like a marionette doll, and that's a lot of tension in the neck. But for me, at least, it's so habitual that it actually feels good in my system because I've been doing it and taught it. For I was taught that my whole life. And then we can all just release and scrunch down and let ourselves get a little bit crunchy and you hear what that does to my voice. And for a singer, this is not good. So I'm going to find the middle zone and it's a zone. There's never a spot. We are never frozen, but let's like figure out where the heck does my skull meet my spine? So if you take your fingers and you put your fingers in your ears straight out, like you have a rod going through the middle of your head, two fingers in your ears, that is how high your spine comes up. The top of your spine is actually that high and the bottom of your skull rests delicately right in the middle. So if you put your hand on the back of your head, the back of your skull, and you feel that little knobby bit back there, that's not where your skull is resting on your spine. It's as far forward if you put your fingers back in your ear. It's as far forward as where those fingers in your ear is. And it's this delicate, beautiful balance of skull on top of spine. So that's what Alexander calls the primary control. Throughout everybody's life, we tense there. We hold, we tighten. We, we like to say in our practice, there is no tiger because we tense and hold because we're fearful and, or maybe in our profession as singers, is there some stage fright or anxiety or the clarinet's just messed up and what do I do now? So we tend to tighten at that point and that's where we tighten first and foremost and habitually. So if we think about that way, the skull can rest delicately on top of the spine. Just think of it as a beautifully lubricated ball on top of, um. I don't know, I think it's ball and socket. It's not a pure ball and socket at all, but let's just imagine that for a minute in there skull on top of spine and it's just smoothly on those there's two little condyles i have great images i can show you if you want anybody wants to write to the ageless singer info at uh or just go to our website and great images about how this primary control works and then once we find that release between head and spine and i like to say release instead of relax relax brings the idea of and just doing nothing. But a release (laughs) maintains our poise between that head and spine relationship. And when we find that balance and that ease between head and spine, then oftentimes we can then begin to let the whole system respond in a similar way. So
0: let's just feel that everybody. If you're not, if you are driving, as I always say, um, I I do not take your hands off the wheel to put your fingers in your ear forgot to say that but i think you all know what to do um so i'm just going to feel that i this is complete completely different for me right now than when we started a little tense you know sure
1: interviewing
0: my friends and uh
1: (laughs) yeah and we all tend to get tight in that head spine region Over and lots of different things. And sometimes it's happiness and excitement that's positive. It's not always a negative thing. So we just need to become more and more aware periodically when you find your shoulders creeping up tight or high. Or the other day, my shoulders were up high, just I don't even remember what was going on. I'm like, oh look at those shoulders. I'm just gonna let them release. I'm gonna find that ease between my head and spine. Let my spine I like to call it my spine dangling. My spine dangles below the skull. Just let that fall away. And if I could yeah. add to that,
2: uh, in response to what do you do? It's we in Alexander Technique, we talk about non doing. So it's if we can, when we find that place, you know, so easy to go, Oh, I'm going to do that thing where I find the thing, you know, but if we can just check in with ourselves throughout the day, I'm going to just not do the thing. Oh. <laughs>
1: Yeah, we'd like to say you're not doing anything. You're undoing the unhelpful.
0: Ooh, let's let that sink in. That's very profound. I want to quote you. Tracy Van Fleet and uh, Lisa Rogers Lee are our guests today here on Healthy Options. And you are tuned to WERU Community Radio. And this is Healthy Options. I'm Rhonda Feynman and today we are discussing the alexander te- alexander technique for singing and for non-singing and for non-doing and now i want to add breathing let's, let's talk about breathing because i found i was if i hopefully people were here to experience that wonderful release of our spine and head um i found i was holding my breath so what, what do we know about that? How many people raise your hand if you were holding your breath? Okay. If you can put your hands down now, that's okay. All right. Good. And, um, so.
2: Yeah. So you're spot on and we have to remind ourselves to breathe, which sounds silly, right? Because of course we're breathing, but when we, we talk about stimulus and response. So I have this stimulus of learning this new thing. Right. And, um, I see this a lot in yoga. You know, I'm learning this new thing and I'm, and the teacher will have to say, remember to breathe. Remember, yeah. Um, so back to the body mapping thing as well. So with breath, often people say, Oh, okay. I need to breathe correctly. So I'm going to do like, Oh, belly breathing. That means I need to push out my belly. I have a, that's one of my things that pet peeves about the phrase belly breathing, because first of all, our lungs aren't down there, but it's amazing how many people come to us that have some idea that that the air goes there, even if even if they know that the lungs aren't really there. But learning, you know, the structures that, oh, my lungs go this far, when my belly releases, which might look like I'm pushing up, I'm just releasing it, then my diaphragm can drop easily. If the tops of my thighs are released, my pelvic floor can release, which echoes the breathing diaphragm can release. So again, it's, knowing how we're designed and then cooperating with that. But again, it's mostly about
1: release. Yes. And if you're doing any of exercises, as Lisa mentioned, in yoga, if you're doing that Alexander exercise we just now did, and you notice yourself holding your breath, it's this concentration. We're really trying to make our body do a thing. And remember, this is all about non-doing, undoing. And so just remind yourself, oh, just allow the breath. Allow the breath. I like to say allow the breath go into your back because our lungs are larger in the back than the front. People a lot of think I'm a little bit nutsy when I, I I don't like to talk about the front at all. Just let the breath go down your back. Those giant lungs that are in your back, which is very foreign to many of us. And then just think about that head spine release again with an easy, natural breath. So and in order always- to... And in order to do that,
2: something you'll hear us say a lot in our teaching, we use the word pause. It's like, oh, I'm not breathing. I better breathe so then I can do the thing. And then, oh, I'm not, right. It's just pause so that you can notice because we can't change what we don't notice. So allowing, again, allowing ourselves to take time to notice so that we can release.
1: And you can tell even when we talk about this work, in this 21st century, we are so go, 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 go constantly. We all had a huge slowdown in 2020. We didn't expect it. What a surprise. But now we're back at it again, full steam ahead. So I call it the luxury of pause because we don't allow that in our lives, especially in our bodies. So I was listening to an interview the other day of a woman who took an Alexander lesson for the first time, and she said, She will do me time, yoga, meditation, but she's discovering that with Alexander technique, it's always going to be me time. Every time you bring your awareness of your Alexander ideas and directions to yourself, you get that calmness that perhaps releasing of those habitual tensions in your body that otherwise you might not get until you intentionally go to a place and do the thing.
0: Well, we are on radio, so we don't want to do too long of a, a silent pause. But I would invite our listeners to take a moment just now, a number of breaths, just or whatever is natural for you, right? The non doing, no, no, no uh, uh, requirements, but to take to notice. Let's just take that moment of noticing. I'm noticing that I've most very much more relaxed. My breath has expanded in the front and the back. And and Tracy, Tracy Van Fleet has uh, has already um, mentioned how our lungs are in the front and the back and they are larger in the back. So therefore, let's focus there. Let's take a moment to notice what's happening when we breathe in. And what about the exhale? How do we, you know, focusing on the exhale, allowing the exhale? Is that a doing I'm, am I even using the right language? Help.
2: <laughs> I think it's bringing, aware, bringing awareness to the exhale. Um, it's because it isn't a doing. Now, as a singer, it's about slowing down the exhale. Um, and I always ask my singers to bring their awareness to their core. And we talk about what that actually means. Um, because in the exercise world, they might think of it differently than, than we do. But bring your awareness to it when, you're, when your lips are pursed, you know, if you exhale with your lips pursed, it slows down that exhale. What do you feel in your core? Oh, so what happens when I'm singing or speaking a long phrase or doing the thing is what's happening in my core? And often we'll find people are breathing way up high, you know, just under their collarbone to, and have lost that connection to their core, which is really their spine, the muscles around the spine.
0: So, when we are talking, are we talking about a, a postural, a postural piece when we talk about the core? What, what, what are we talking about? What do we mean by core? Cause someone might be thinking of doing, uh, you know, curls with uh, weights or something. Right.
2: Um, I am just newly, I haven't discussed this with my teaching partner, Tracy, but I'm doing this new way of thinking about it, which is it is not specifically Alexander. But we always say when people say, is that Alexander? Well, everything is Alexander if you're bringing that awareness to it, right? So what I've done lately, and I've with students have had lots of aha moments with it, is to think about that the bottom of your spine, which is really your tail, which is almost what you're sitting on, um, that in the front in the front of your spine, which is behind your organs, so it's very close to the middle of your body, but not in, not in your back, like we often think. And as we exhale, if we think about each little vertebra, there's a little zipper. So I think it, there is not a real zipper. So this is not a body map thing. But thinking about just allowing, as you go up the spine, to for allowing that to engage. And you're not going to make it engage, but you can notice it. So if you exhale through a pursed lips, and you can just notice what you notice.
0: What did I notice? I noticed, I noticed um, an extent an extension that a very natural extension.
2: Yes, that's beautiful. Because the truth of our spine when it comes to breathing, our spine is curved, it's not straight. We often think of, you know, stand up straight, especially women in our generation who are taught to stand flat against a wall, which is against all nature. Um, But so our, our upper back, our primary curve is curved. And when we exhale, it straightens out a little bit. So therefore, the displacement elongates our spine. So that's beautiful that you noticed a lengthening. And often we get in the way, we start to exhale and we shrink. Right. But when we exhale, indeed, we're lengthening. Ending. Yes.
0: Very and meditative. It's
2: a, and it's not a doing. I'm not pulling up. I'm just going to notice that I'm not going to be in the way. It
0: makes you yawn. yawn. It's a very yawny thing. It's like a good singing exercise, right? We start yawning. Yeah. yeah. Tracy, could you add something to that? That's something about the pelvic. Is There's a whole other pelvic. We have our diaphragm where we think it is, but we have another diaphragm, don't we?
1: We have many different diaphragms in the body, but the ones that are most immediately attention, get our our attention for breathing is the abdominal diaphragm, what we always talk about. And by the way, can I just say, this is Lisa and I have a real pet peeve about this. You cannot breathe from your diaphragm. That is... Anatomically impossible. You can only breathe in your lungs. Your diaphragm has been proven scientifically. It is completely out of your control. It is an unconscious movement. It is, you have, you cannot tell your diaphragm to do anything. You have no control, a conscious control of the diaphragm. So just get rid of the breathe from your diaphragm thing. What people really are intending, that's an, in, this is more of an inhalation thing, but it's just to allow the ribs, the, sorry, the lungs to expand down as opposed to catching our breath up wide, high in the upper chest. Like Lisa said, behind the collarbones, that's not what we need to work on. And I'll, and again, add specifically around the back in the back of your back where the power of your lungs is. So that's where your abdominal diaphragm is. Then you also have a pelvic floor diaphragm. With the inhalation, that your abdominal diaphragm does descend and your pelvic floor diaphragm also descends. With an exhalation, when you're breathing out, that abdominal diaphragm naturally retracts. The ribs will naturally begin to come in a bit. And the pelvic floor, we don't necessarily think of pulling as for singers. We're not going to be clenching, pushing, or pulling the pelvic diaphragm. We just become aware of the release of the pelvic diaphragm on the floor, more related to the inhalation than the exhalation. Now, Lisa's done some very specific studies in this area more than I have. That's my general thumbnail about the pelvic diaphragm. So I don't know if you want to add something to that, Lisa.
2: Well, you said it beautifully. And I would say, um, particularly for women, Um, women tend to have more awareness of the pelvic floor than men, but men, you do have pelvic floors and, um, women it's very common, especially as we get older, this doesn't seem logical, but actually the pelvic floor uh, can start to tighten. And, uh, some pelvic floor therapy, which I have had is about learning to release the pelvic floor, which it seems like, you know, certain things that happen as you get older, you don't want to do that. But actually that is one of the issues that causes problems. Yeah.
0: Well, if, if we are speaking uh, about some women, uh, w- women and 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 going through menopause, that will change all of those kinds of structures as well. About our sinews and what's fluid, and and that affects our vocal cords, I I would imagine as well as all of these sinews and ligaments that that are in all of these these diaphragms of our body. I want to know about what other diaphragms there are, Tracy.
1: Okay. <laughs> anything, we, often talk about, we often talk about the soft palate as a diaphragm. So some people say, well, what exactly is my soft palate? I love doing this. People think I'm nuts. Um, you snort like a pig. I'm not kidding. <laughs> snort like a pig. <laughs> like that, that's your soft palate. People always laugh at me, but that's one of my favorite <laughs> things. That's your soft palate. And so your soft palate can be like a diaphragm between your head and your pharynx, your your breathing tube we'll call it um, that's the easiest way to say. So that's one of the diaphragms. We also have people we'll talk about the diaphragms in the ankle in the ankle bet- that' help separate the leg from the foot. So that's another diaphragm.
2: And some people talk about even the skull being a diaphragm and the vocal folds being a diaphragm and it's interesting something you could all could do right now. If you're able to, release, release your abdominals, your thighs, pelvic floor, that, that general area, and have your mouth open. And see if you notice a difference in your breathing tube. So if you tighten all that area, and then release. Mm. And some of that, and, and be kind to yourself if you don't notice something that's totally fine. Just asking yourself the question, you're getting benefit. Um, but often that what people are noticing, if they realize it or not, is that the the diaphragm of the soft palate also releases.
0: Whoa. Oh, I can't even talk now. This is, this is <laughs> crazy. And, and then for those, it's, it's a good question. Um, definition of a diaphragm, just in case, just to keep everybody like, just that idea. Well, we don't the definition, but that area of of something that expands and allows space in our a bodies. Di- when a tissue that in.
1: divides, a tissue that that yes. separates one area for the next area. Right. In some cases, it's a muscle, and other cases, uh, it can be. Yes, I don't know other tissue. Yeah, just
0: just to kind of get a get a kind of a a, a sense. Well of, of what, what we're talking about in case not everyone doesn't do anatomy, you know, in our, everyone
2: has their strengths. (laughs) Well, actually, as you say that, um, yes, Tracy's right. If they're tissue that divides parts of our body and being aware of them and being able to release them connects our body parts.
0: So we're doing, go ahead.
1: I was going to say, because when we, when we tense a part of our body, we are actually causing division and we are separating aspects of our system, our whole muscular skeletal system that want to work in tandem. They want to work together. And oftentimes using talking about these releases that we bring with Alexander work you can get into the, if you want to sit in a chair or pick up a heavy box, you actually, with bringing these releases into your spine, your head spine relationship, you're dropping your tail, allowing it to be free, then you're actually going to be working a deeper set of muscles, which incorporate the whole of yourself rather than those external muscles that we feel like, oh, here, I have control of myself now. Now I can do the activity. And those that's where we start to get into trouble when we're just talking about, well, trying to create control over a system. And we are usually doing it with a, with a body map or an idea of how our body works that is usually incorrect.
0: Well, if you have just joined us, we are speaking with... Oh goodness! I, I really I can't talk. I'm totally relaxed and and expanded in in our in all of these ex <laughs> techniques. So I'm going to start over again. You are tuned to WERU Community Radio. I'm Rhonda Feynman, and this is the Healthy Options program. And if you just tuned in, we are speaking with Tracy Van Fleet and Lisa Rogers Lee. We are learning all about different techniques of the Alexander technique, and we are learning to let go and non non-do. We're not doing. We are being. We are one with our mind and body. It's the level of sensation here. And for those who are regular listeners to, to uh, healthy options, you know, we do a lot with trauma resiliency, which is all about the level of sensation, which is all about allowing. So. Let's, uh, there are two things I wanted to get back to, and I want to go into this idea of stress and any kind of body memory of trauma and how this can be helpful. But we were talking about the, mu- before the, that little break, before the muscle, about the muscles, about the big muscles. And let's, so what we're asking now is, you know, there are all these tiny little muscles. They're like, there's so many muscles, but they're little ones that attach to the spine. And, and we don't think about those when we're saying, muscle strength or muscle tone. So what we're, what you're suggesting is that by undoing and not doing and exhaling and allowing, we're dealing with those muscles. Can, can you talk about that? Uh, I think Tracy, we're talking about, it or Lisa, whoever, uh, a little bit more about the, about that, the deeper muscles and how that and how we're touching that when we do these non-doing and our, we do our awareness. I would
2: say again, we're not, um, inviting certain muscles, like the, the little muscles to let go, right? <clears throat> Pardon me. This work is very indirect. So if someone comes to me and says, Oh, I have a sore hip, I'm not going to say, I'm not going to, okay, let's work on that hip, right? No. I'm going to look elsewhere in their body, primarily their, their head spine and, and watch them move and, and see how their whole system is moving. Um, but as it, as it pertains to trauma, uh, again, it's to that noticing, how does that show up in your body? And often, as you know, trauma patients don't always realize that things have shown up in their body. Um, a good example as a singer, um, and this is, anyone can notice this, the vocal folds are not designed primarily for speaking and singing. They're designed to save your life, right? So because if you don't want to choke, they close right? And you want it, them open so that you can breathe. So that is one of the primary places where trauma shows up. And so at, like a singer or for public speaking, or, um, or maybe you're having a difficult conversation with somebody, that it's very common for there to be a lot of tension around the vocal folds. And so again, we're not going to go, okay, let's figure out how to release the vocal folds. We're going to look elsewhere in our body. So I'll give an example that, that I used. It's not necessarily pertained to trauma per se, but let's say for stage fright. Um, but 16 years ago, 15, 16 years ago, um, I had just started taking Alexander technique and specifically body mapping. And I had learned when I released my thighs, my voice just started to fly. And because there's all sorts of connective tissue, right? So there are fascial connections in the body that, um, I mean, your big toe is related to your tongue. It sounds crazy, but that's for another another day. But I had to go out on stage, and I learned the week before that I had to sing this high D sharp in Car- Carmina Barana solo. And I, as I was walking out stage, I was standing behind the orchestra. The mayor comes up and does this big announcement celebrating our 25th anniversary. Blah, blah blah. And I was all warmed up, and I started to panic. I was just I was just panicking because I'm going to lose my warm up. I'm going. to blah, blah, blah. And I got out there and I just, this is conscious, constructive thinking, which is another Alexander term. Okay. I know I can release my legs, walk out, easy legs, easy legs. And that was my cue. And I sang and poosh, the note just flew out. And I walked off stage and I expected myself to be just shaking. And I wasn't. Um, but I've learned, I've used that tool repeatedly in my life when I'm facing difficult situations, that's sort of my place of release that is helpful. So I've recognized a habit of tension in my upper thighs. Maybe someone else's habit is tension in their feet. That was one of Alexander's notices. He gripped the floor with his feet um, and that was affecting his voice. So again, it's that learning to notice where things show up in your body.
1: And a lot of times people have a hard time saying, well, I don't notice anything. I don't find anything. So it's just learning to become aware of your body and giving yourself a lot of kindness about just give it some time and give it some ideas. So oftentimes my I carry my attention in my left trap. That's just where I live. Um, but instead of thinking for me, because it's so close to the vocal cords. So I do the, what we often teach in Alexander technique is, the indirect learning. So I'm going to think of, well, okay, I know there's tension there, and I'd like to release it. But instead of that, where do I find ease? Where is my body released already? And I make a joke, my triceps, they're always doing nothing. So I can always go to my triceps. And as Lisa said, she notices her thighs, my thighs are not such my deal, it's my traps. And every person is going to have their own part of their body that is their habitual hold or habitual tension. And so the feet are pretty universal. We can pretty much always say, I say to my students, find find your feet, where are your feet? Because honestly, you're standing there for whatever amount of time and you have forgotten that you have feet. And so when you say somebody gives you the idea, find my feet, it's like, oh yeah, oh yeah. So you're Whole self is from the bottom of your feet, comes all the way up through your entire system, including all the muscles and sinews and bones, all the way to the top of your skull. And we connect that whole body just, and these are ideas. This is mind-body idea, connecting the the thoughts. This is not actively doing. We keep saying non-doing. It's just bringing your awareness to the connectivity and find your feet. And suddenly your head is connected. This is
0: such a relief. Not having to do. I have to tell you, giving. (laughs) I just want to give everybody permission. We're giving everyone permission not to do. Take that in, everyone. Okay.
1: Yes, because no matter what your activity is, whether you're an athlete, a musician, um, someone who sits at their computer all day doing CAD stuff, whatever it is that you do every day, you have probably been taught how to do that activity. Well, not sitting at your computer per se, but we develop habits right, uh, around that. And so what we want to begin to do is, uh, yes, you need, if you're highly skilled within a physical endeavor, you have things that you have learned to do. But by now, your body has done these things so many times. And now the intention and habits have crept in to help you get through that moment. And then they become habitual. And then those, because that's tightening over here, this starts to tightening to kind of balance you out. And then we're tight everywhere. So here's the non doing, just begin to so, release.
0: So what would, yes. Yeah, so we're, we're almost looking at the uh, difference between uh, how we've evolved and how we're designed, designed versus evolve. We're not designed. What? We're evolved.
1: We're evolved. We're, I think we're both evolved and designed. And again, our phrase in Alexander Technique is working with our natural design because we have this crazy idea. In I would call it Western European culture, Um it probably w- globally, well, not a globally. For instance, folding at the hip joints is not—we just mess that up in our Western European, American, North American culture. But um we have these crazy ideas about how our body works, and it doesn't work like that. That's not how your body is created it's lisa
2: did you have something to add, or no oh i
1: well I, I will i was thinking of something um
2: yes <laughs> back to your back to the trauma question and tension and fight or flight that when we release our own selves that shows up in our relationships because we have what are called um mirror neurons and this is a proven thing so if if my body's all tight and I can have a big old smile on my face and look really happy, but I'm really internally in knots. That person that I'm with is going to absorb that, is going to mirror some of that. They might not literally mirror it, but you know how sometimes you're around a person, you just feel so easy around them, you know? Um, it, so that's, that's another thing that the Alexander technique, um, can help with. So for those of you who are, who are, you know, have to go to like boardroom meetings or, and someone's just driving you nuts. Take care of yourself. Which is another Alexander thing for, uh, principle for the teacher we're taught take care of yourself first. Put the oxygen mask on yourself first because if I'm teaching someone else how to notice certain things in their own body and I'm all tied in knots, mm. they're going to have a very difficult time finding release.
0: Yes, we certainly are absorbing energies from each other, aren't we? Mm-hmm. And when the whole trauma thing aspect is, we do have flight and fright, but we also have freeze, and we can't forget freeze because that's where it that level of sensation lives in, in our in our body. And this is just seems so beautiful way of of relaxing and noticing and allowing, and and without having to relive the trauma because we're not talking about it, we're not having to think about it, we're just noticing the body.
1: Yeah. Becoming aware of our body habits because it's habitual. It's hard to become aware of that. It's just something that we do. It's like if you've been driving a car for 20 years and I I mean, you can bring your awareness to where your hands go and where your feet, what your feet are doing when, but most of that now has become instinctual and habitual. And so there's so many aspects of our day-to-day living in our bodies, getting up and out of a chair, uh, walking. Walking has a lot of habits as- uh, attached to it that can cause challenges for people. And so becoming aware of habits is really hard. So give yourself a lot of grace around that and just let yourself say, hey, I'm going to just start thinking about it and maybe become bring some new awareness to this over time.
2: And that's why it's so helpful to have a teacher or a third party to notice that's our first job as a teacher. Well, first job is taking self. Second job is to observe the person that you're working with, because mm. we're going to notice things that that person doesn't observe. Um, and a good example for me, when I first started taking lessons, and it was a hands-on lesson with a private teacher. And she said, oh, that's beautiful. When she had worked with me and I said, I'm going to fall forward. I'm going to fall on my face because I felt I was leaning forward. And then she had me look in the mirror and I'm like, Oh, how about that? I'm so nicely balanced, but Mm. because my habit was to be, you know, stand up straight. Um, I felt like I was falling forward.
0: Mm. The military, keep your chest out. Yes. Yep. Yes. Hurry up and relax. Okay. As our shoulders go up to our ears anyway. um, (laughs) No, don't do that. Breathe. Um, okay. I'm stop. I, I have to stop. I'm really, I can't even speak. I'm telling you, 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 you're, you're mad magicians. You're absolute magicians here with the Alexander te- technique. And for those of you who have just tuned in, this is the Healthy Options Program on WERU Community Radio. I'm Rhonda Feynman. We're speaking with Lisa Rogers-Lee and Tracy Van Fleet, professional classical vocalists and practitioners of the Alexander Technique. And we are learning all about ways of non-doing. Tell me more about the map. Is there more to talk about? Is there, when you're doing the map, Lisa, the body map, Are do you, consciously uh, notice all different aspects do you go through each body part what what or how do what what do we mean by that again
2: yeah so if with the body mapping it doesn't mean i'm going to go from head to toe and like get it all right right it's just <laughs> so if someone if we're noticing someone with some back issues or whatever i might look at how how they get up and down from a chair how do they how do they bend over and notice so the body mapping would be as I mentioned with the waist before, if someone's bending over at their waist, you know, the area between your ribs and your pelvis, um, we have the capability to move there and we should move there. But when we bend over, it really, the hip joint, which is the top of your leg, you know, that if you lift your leg up, that crease there, that's where we're, we want to be bending. And so if we release our knees, bend at the hip joint, then we notice, oh, well, my habit was to slump over and bend my waist. Well, right. Or so once they learn that design, and then they can take that in their daily living back to the dishwasher thing. Now when I empty my dishwasher, I bend over differently. Um Spiraling is another thing. So we're our whole body is designed on spirals. There is no straight line anywhere in nature, including the human body. So our bones, our ligaments, everything are spirals. So if I, my, Of course, I, the spine, again, goes from between our ears all the way down to our tail. And if I, if I turn quickly to get something and I haven't cooperated with that spine or a spiral, maybe I'm only turning the top third of my body and then I get this torque in my spine and I throw throw my back out. That's because I wasn't really cooperating with that spiral. Do you have anything to add to that? I could walk you through a short exercise.
0: Absolutely. yes. Yes, absolutely.
2: So imagine that you have, there's something behind you or maybe not completely, but to the side slightly behind you that you want to reach for. And first in your mind's eye, just see that object in your mind's eye. And then you're going to look with your eyes, only your eyes towards that. And you realize, well, that's not going to get me far enough. So then from the top of your spine, where Tracy pointed out between your ears, and just start and below, you're going to start rotating vertebra by by vertebra, and you're going to keep going, keep going. And then, oh, my shoulders have to come with me. My chest has to rotate. Keep going down your spine. Let it each rotate. And as I reach for the object, as I reach for the object, I'm going to come back to the mic. Um, One of my sits bones is coming off the chair. And I'm going to allow that to happen, right? And if I don't allow that to happen, I've left out the bottom of my spine. So now as I come back, I'm going to do the reverse. I'm going to let that sits bone come back down. And now start spiraling from my lower spine up through the middle, my then eventually my shoulders come with me, then my head, and then my eyes. Now, that's a very slow way. But the more we practice that, and every time we go to move, and we think about that spiral leading with our eyes, head, spine first, and that's a good example of allowing the rest of our body to follow, then we're really cooperating with our design.
0: Wow. So for people who do twists and are doing yoga, now we do twists all the time. We just don't call them that as, as you just demonstrated, but this would be a very safe way to really integrate that whole body movement. Absolutely. Isn't that something? Wow. How did that feel? Everybody. How are we doing? Okay, I thought it was amazing. <laughs> I will stand be the stand in for all of our listeners here <laughs> today, but wh- yes, very much um, a release. Def- again, that sense of ex- of extension occurs when you're paying attention to those spirals, and that yeah. kind of is coming through the arms as well. I mean, we're as we move right down the yes. all of the muscles and the, uh, the the the. Um, our structure
2: heading out to our hands and fingers. Yeah. Yeah, So if you, you know, if, as you reach for your arm think I'm going to lead with my fingertips and then follow that spiral all the way up, all the way up to my middle, where my collarbone meets the right below
1: my neck.
0: (laughs) Ah, right. Because that's really, isn't that where our shoulders really well
1: am. let me if i know you have a lot of people who might be driving but if you're not driving you can do this exercise if you're driving you have to like rewind and play or get the rewind you know the, the, the archives <laughs> okay so we often think of how our arm okay so i'm just going to say where it does your arm the end of your arm so put your hand where the shoulder seam would be, like your sleeve, where your sleeve stops at the top of your shoulder, right? And now lift your arm up in whatever way you want to. And with knowing that's the top of my arm, that's the end of my arm, that's as far as it goes. Put that down. Try the other side. Put your hand on top of your shoulder where your sleeve stops and think that's the end of my arm and lift your arm up and see, okay, that's my arm. Fine. No problem. Now I'm going to give you some information. If you tra- use your fingers and trace along your collarbones, come from, start it out at the shoulders, find where your collarbone is out in that vicinity, come in to the two little notches that are in the middle of your torso, at your neck, the bottom of your neck. So that's the end of your collarbone. And in fact, that is the end of your arm. Your collarbone is part of your arm structure. I know this completely blows Radical. people away. Right? It's like, what? My collarbone is my arm? Truly it is. So rest delicately one hand on one collarbone. I do opposite. I'm happy. I'm happening to use my left hand on top of my right collarbone. And now allow your arm to raise knowing that it includes the collarbone. And does your arm just like go straight up? Oh my gosh, I have so much more mobility now that I'm doing that. Flip hands to the other side, one hand on one collarbone and let that arm go up. And suddenly, and that happens to me, my goofy shoulder side, but even that goofy shoulder has so much more mobility when I know that my arm is continuing and is including my collarbone. And in the back, big surprise, your shoulder blades are part of your arm structure. So again, if you just move your arm around in whatever way you want to and just let your shoulder blade move and glide, I'm kind of rotating my arm in all directions and your shoulder blade slides along the outside of the ribs and because your shoulder blade is part of your arm. I know, it's weird. In the same way, can I just from shoulder blades, can we just go back to breathing for a second? Absolutely. Because a lot of times when we are thinking about our breath, we have been taught shoulders down, chest up. So if I put my shoulders down and my chest up, now suddenly that my back is a little bit squished and my shoulders down, I'm frozen in my shoulders and in my shoulder blades. So take a deep breath with your shoulders down, chest up that we've been taught all our lives. Okay. So take a breath. You can get some. Yeah. Some, it's not bad, but now take a minute and just let your shoulders be free. Stretch your arms, maybe a little bit over your head, loosen up those shoulders, and then kind of roll your shoulders a little bit to get your shoulder blades free. And now just let your sternum drape. Your sternum is that bone right in the middle of your chest where you would do compressions for CPR, kind of, in that vicinity. Let your sternum drape. Let your shoulders just be. Let them just fall and release. And now when you take your breath, which is your scapula, your shoulder blades are going to float freely and move. Your shoulder blades should move when you breathe. Inhale through the back of your lungs and your back ribs. Your shoulders float free. Exhale. It's all in motion. Let everything move that wants to move. Another inhalation. Down to the bottom of your lungs in the back. And exhale. Now, I say the bottom of your lungs. Okay, breath is going everywhere in your lungs. But we often ignore that part of our anatomy when we're breathing. We think upper chest in the front. But when we bring awareness to our lower it's the, bo- the back of our ribs, in the ribs in the back, and we allow that expansion, that natural expansion that happens with breath. We are able to get a more fulsome breath and a breath that will support a long phrase for singing. It will support your running. Although I'm not really that good with cardio and my perfect breathing. I mean, perfect. Ooh, that's we don't say that in Alexander. That was bad. <laughs> okay, my my breathing that I'm intentionally non doing. Uh, I have a harder time in cardio. I will be honest, especially swimming, but I'm always working on it. You know, there's always room for improvement. And I just am kind to myself and say, well, that was interesting. Look at that. Look what that happened. Oh, that was some tension. Wow. Check that out. Mm -hmm. I'm going to bring some awareness to that.
2: Hmm. That, Which actually brings up another body map mismatch. So the part about not raising your shoulders. Well, just like your spine lengthens when you exhale because of displacement, what, so if I'm exhale, if I'm, inhaling where do you think these ribs and the collarbones are going to go because my because my lungs are go up behind my top collar you know way up at the collarbone and so if I'm taking if air is coming in the shoulders have to move they're not initiating they're just going along for the ride right and we we used, uh we love to use the term allow the air to drop in as opposed to take mm. a breath this,
0: this, oh. that,
2: right mmm Mm.
0: What a difference. What a difference. What a difference. Allow the air to drop in. Mm. I love that. We are getting an entire Alexander Technique exploration today. I'm so thrilled that, uh, that you're with us today. We have just a, a, about a minute left. Oh my goodness. We are really running out of time. I just want, I, I i just, that's a great place to leave. I think that we have expanded and relaxed and I'm just so, uh, I, again, incoherent, but I will attempt to do my reading because I'm good now. I'm good. I'm relaxing my thighs and my feet. As I say, our guests today on healthy options have been Tracy Van Fleet and Lisa Rogers Lee, founders of the Ageless Singer, and they use the Alexander technique in their own performances and in their te- teachings. The website is agelesssinger.com, and we'll have some other links as well to the Alexander technique website, and we can you can possibly find practitioners in your area. And thank you so much again for being with us, uh, Tracy Van Fleet and Lisa Rogers Lee on Healthy Options. You can find links to this show and to other information that was mentioned on the Public Affairs Archive at weru.org and also get the WERU app and you can uh, get all of these as podcasts. So thanks to Joel Mann and Amy Brown at WERU for engineering support. Thank you to Petra Hall for production assistance. And as always, thanks to all of our WERU listeners and supporters. This is Rhonda Feynman wishing you the best in health.